Save the date for the 12th of September. Join our webinar on digital transformation in manufacturing. We are exploring how IoT, AI and smart factories are reshaping our sector. Hear from industry leaders like Airbus, Rolls-Royce and Heriot Watt University. This is a must attend for professionals and decision makers in manufacturing. So register now at resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. That's resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. The link is also in the description. I had a fascinating conversation this week with Jerry Foster, the CTO of Plex Systems. We talked all about how manufacturing can prepare for Industry 4.0 and what the smart revolution really means. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. From Redfern Media, this is Remake Manufacturing. My guest this week is Jerry Foster, CTO of Plex Systems, a global company based in the US that makes software to fully digitize manufacturing operations, helping build the products of tomorrow today. The company's been around for 30 years and currently oversees a mind-boggling 8 billion transactions per day. Jerry's been CTO from the start, co-founding the company with four colleagues. I'm sure he'll tell us all about that. He's passionate about reshaping manufacturing to embrace Industry 4.0. So Jerry Foster, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's just a pleasure to be here. So let's get into Plex. Tell us a little bit about your background. Plex specializes in data analytics and software, but it was born and built on the shop floor. Tell us how it all started and where the company is now. Right. So it's a, it's a long and fun story. I'll try to give you a brief summary. Uh, once upon a time, there was an engineer who was hired to work at a forging company, old school forging, axle shafts, drive shafts and whatnot. Uh, but it wasn't long before he was completely fed up with the chaos that was that he encountered day to day. And he got so frustrated, he walked into the president's office and he said, I quit. I want to work for a company that has its act together. <laughs> and that president said, <laughs> he said, okay, you, you snotty nose kid, if you're so smart, how would you fix it? And the engineer thought, well, maybe I won't quit. Maybe I need to design a computer system that would control this chaos. Um, so he started tackling that and he thought to himself, what's the most important thing a factory does? It's not accounting, it's not sales, they make parts. That's the most important thing. So that's where he started. He started building a system that tracked inventory and production on the shop floor, and it grew out from there, quality tooling, gauge control, shipping, et cetera. And I know you're thinking, okay, it's, that's so cool, Jerry, that you were that engineer, but that, that <laughs> actually wasn't me. I was actually hired. I was hired by that engineer, um, and he had got to a point where he needed some help, and so he hired me. Um, I was one year out of college. I don't know why he hired me. I'd never been in a factory. I'd never built uh, the same thing he had before. So uh, I kind of hoodwinked him into hiring me. But we set about rebuilding that entire platform. And uh, in a few years, that forging company grew from $6 million to $60 million in revenue, um, partly because of progressive leadership, but also because of the software we had built. And there were so many suppliers and customers that came in and said, this is so cool. Can we, can we buy this? Can we give you money for this? <laughs> Finally, we were like, hey, and maybe we should uh, maybe we should sell this. So on April Fool's Day, April 1st, 1995, we broke off and started our own company. And we've been building the company ever since, growing the company. And then last uh, last fall, we were acquired by Rockwell Automation. And you've been there for the full 30 years. So so what how's your role changed? What, what, what do you oversee these days? So I was running engineering until about 2010 or 11 or so. And then I realized, you know, we need we need someone 
focused on innovation and new technology. And so I handed the, the reins of engineering over to a colleague and I formed the labs, which is basically the research arm at Plex. And, and my role consists of research and innovation, evangelism and thought leadership. And really um, my goal is to help our customers understand that interaction of technology and manufacturing and, and what it means for them and how they can use it. And Plex, and one of the, one of the, the, the central things you guys do is help companies digitize. So in a nutshell, what is that process and how do you do it? So we, yeah, exactly. We provide a digital representation of all the transactions that happen in a factory. We record the flow of material and goods from the time that raw material hits the floor through its transformation to finished goods to being shipped to a customer. We automate all those processes around those transactions and that drives efficiency. It removes errors from those manual processes. And basically we connect people and systems and machines and supply chains. We connect all those together and eliminate eliminate those silos. Um, and to me, it's kind of a huge part of what Industry 4.0 and smart manufacturing is, right? It's connecting all those components. I remember early in my career, I was stringing serial cable through the ceiling of that forging plant, trying not to fall into the lines below, um, even though that'd be an interesting obituary, right? Computer <laughs> programmer falls into a bit of, bit of molten hot steel. Um, but uh, we were connecting CNC machines so that the operators wouldn't have to manually input their uh, their recipes and we could automate that. And that was the early 90s. And so ever since then, we've been connecting, automating and tracking the results and then giving our, our users the, the ability to analyze those results for, uh, for better efficiency. And you've always had a, a smart eye on the future. You were cloud native in 2001. So what was it like to, to bet on that succeeding before anyone else? It was, it was crazy. Um, you know, one of the first enterprise business systems in the world to adopt a native cloud architecture. Um, and that led to a couple of interesting things. Like, like there was no playbook, right? This had not been done before. There was nothing to fall back on. There was no internet forums to get advice. There was no Twitter to tell us how stupid we were. We were flying by the seat of our pants and uh, blazing those trails. I don't know how many meetings ended with, well, I guess we'll try it this way. <laughs> but we had some really smart people. Um, to help us along the way. And the second fascinating challenge was how do you talk about this? We knew we had something awesome, right? And so we're engineers at heart. So we wanted to talk about it. We'd go into a sales opportunity and we'd be like, this is so great. Listen, this is awesome. Listen, get this. Your data is not going to be stored here in your factory. It's going to travel over the internet, which you just heard about, and sit in a computer at a completely different location. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and we could get these blank stares, right? Um, and so we had to work around that and realize, you know, manufacturers, they're tangible people. They make parts. They like heat and oil and graphite. So we had to change our approach and really talk about the, the capabilities of the software itself and hook them on that. And then we would talk about the cloud. Of course, these days, we don't have to do that as much. Cloud is kind of uh, accepted and we can yell it from the mountain. So. Wow. Yeah, it's quite a story. And so obviously along the way, you've, you've learned a hell of a lot. And, and you recently put together a report that details the path to Industry 4.0, as you mentioned. Can you tell us how that came about and what the roadmap looks like? Yeah, so you know, we've been conducting an annual survey of manufacturers and the technology that they use or not um, since about 2016. And it gives us tremendous insight into what's really going on inside their minds and what they're doing and where they are in their transformation journey and how that changes year to year. It's really comprehensive. We have about 300 manufacturers globally uh, that we survey. So we get a ton of insight from that. And the path that you mentioned, Industry 4.0, the one thing I've learned, it's, it's never straight. It's not a straight path. It's windy and curvy. It's full of detours. Mm. Uh, and then uh, even when things are going smooth, it's like driving on a highway here in Michigan. You never know when, you know, bam, you're going to hit a pothole. <laughs> and uh, so you have to account for that. I think there's some basic steps that we've outlined from the report. Um, 
of identifying your stakeholders, you know, who needs to be involved. It's so important to get them involved in advance, making the business case and, and answering the question, what does success look like? So many times we jump in without figuring out the end game. What is, when, when do we get there? What does that mean? Uh, the third thing, researching that solution, you know, which technology is going to help solve the problem that you've identified and then deploying that solution. Um, do you implement on your own? Do you get a partner? And then finally, just managing that change and driving adoption. Um, who's your champion? What, how do they communicate? Um, and, and that's the bird's eye view. We could go into in depth in each of those, but that's that's really the roadmap that we have found works well. Well, let's go into it in a bit more depth. From from the company's point of view, what are the main challenges for adopting smart manufacturing? You know, it's funny. If you'd asked me that two or three years ago, I would have said, you know, they're just manufacturers are just trying to improve their efficiency. Um, that's what they do. You know, my contract says I get five cents for each widget this year, but next year it's four cents and then three cents each year thereafter. So I have to improve to, to be profitable. But now, after two years of this pandemic and wars and acts of God, it feels like the stakes are so much higher, right? It's, mm. it's not just improving. Sometimes it's about just surviving long term. So so this technology transformation is now front and center. And I see briefly three main reasons. Supply chain volatility. You know, our previous systems, single supplier based on price, global supply chain. Turns out that was pretty brittle. We didn't know how brittle that was until the last two years. Um, the labor shortage operating in a landscape where there's, you know, nearly a million jobs open, at least in North America. That's a significant challenge. And then risk mitigation. How do I operate in this connected world and I keep my data safe? I conform to regional government privacy requirements that seem to change daily. How do I manage my data in that environment? So those are the three things that uh, we have found firms are really challenged with and trying to solve with their smart manufacturing efforts. And, and so those are the problems or the challenges, but what are the tools that companies need to digitize quickly and efficiently without taking too many wrong turns? Well, I think the feeling that, you know, I'm behind and so I need to digitize quickly, it can be dangerous, right? right. If you're not managing that that correctly. And and so I think the biggest and most effective tool you can have in your toolbox is for the transformation champion in a company, whether that's a person or a team, they need to focus on, on the operational aspect, the business value. And I don't know if that's a tool or not, like we normally think of one, but this is so critical. And, and what I mean by that is there's this tendency to just throw technology at a problem. I'm I'm an engineer, I'm a CTO, I love technology, and I'll buy anything just for, you know, I'll make up reasons to, to try new things out. Um, but you can't do that in the business, you know, and you've got to take a holistic view of the business processes and make an honest assessment. You know, for instance, I've got an unplanned downtime. It's hampering my ability to meet demand. So we might need an asset performance management system that can help us accurately predict that downtime. Um, or our competitors are coming to market with new products faster than we are. What technology can we help can help with that? Well, maybe a 3D printer that can cut down on the prototyping phase, you know, by weeks or months. And that's how you have to think. The technology is providing value and, and a true ROI. How do I get to that, that point so you're not wasting money or even more importantly, wasting time? Mm. And then the other big issue, of course, is sustainability. Can Industry 4.0 put that at the core? I, th I think it has to. Uh, and I think it's starting to do that. To be honest with you, this year, I think, is where I really saw a tipping point when it comes to sustainability. Uh, in January, I attended the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. It's the biggest electronics show in the world. It's something that I try to attend every year. And the main reason I attend is to see the advancements in massage chairs. Those suckers are all over the place. I get a, <laughs> I get a free chair massage every day. But the second reason, and almost as important, is to get insight into what technologies are coming next. Even though it's technically a consumer show, 
all those technologies, if they're important, they find their way into the enterprise so I can kind of get a good feel of what's coming next. And it's been interesting because for the last few years, sustainability has been kind of like a growing theme. But this year, it, it's like someone pushed it off the edge and, and everything changed. Mm. There was this distinct and noticeable change in the mindset of every single business. And and um, sustainability and electric vehicles and electric solutions, it was all front and center throughout the whole show. So I think that was an extremely important uh, milestone, at least for me, and seeing how this is taking shape in the industry. Remake Manufacturing is brought to you by Redfern Media, the digital agency for B2B manufacturers. We partner with B2B manufacturers to listen, think, create, and innovate. To find out more, head over to remakemanufacturing.com and sign up to the podcast, plus manufacturing marketing and technology insights. Now, back to the show. And and with the this revolution of Industry 4.0, obviously comes a lot of anxiety. Um, how can we dispel that and build the right culture? <laughs> so you can't really dispel the fear, right? It's part of who we are. You've got to lead through it. I think there's two things we, we have to remember. One, we're creatures of habit. You know, I had my lucky charm this morning, the same <laughs> breakfast I've had for the last 50 years. <laughs> you know, we choose the devil we know versus the devil we don't know. Even if we're presented with evidence that the new change is better. And second, we're emotionally involved in our current environment. Engineers like me, we don't like emotions because they're messy, but that's what people are. They're emotionally invested. So we have to approach that in a way that takes all those things into consideration. And I like how you said building the right culture because that's what it takes. Right. Culture is the accumulated set of behaviors that a group of people exhibit over time. So you have to start right now building those teams that have autonomy and can make decisions and can act and move accordingly. And that gives you a leg up so when you, when you start your transformation journey. I got a real brief, a great story. Um, one of our customers was getting ready to implement a brand new scheduling system based on Kanban. Uh, there was a ton of fear in the plant. They were told that they were going to have to produce more, but not hire anyone else, not hire more. And so they were worried about the weight that that was going to put on their efforts. So this is what the customer did. Um, do you know what a stickle brick is? Have you ever heard of the term stickle brick? Yeah, 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 yeah. We play with those. Yeah, too. It's, it's if you don't know, um, I didn't know they had a name. Uh, it's those little blocks. They have the little uh, pegs on them that you can push into each other. And so what this customer did is they built a hypothetical product made out of stickle bricks, and they set up a bill of materials and assembly process, and then they set up work centers to build this part, and they set up a spreadsheet to track the flow of um, inventory and the cost, and then they brought in the, the the workers and they had them run through the simulation, building this part first the old way. And then the new way, and they filled out all the information as they did this. And when they um, when they iterated through this, they they compared the numbers, and the results were dramatically in favor of the new Kanban system. And the result was not only did everyone have this deep understanding of how it worked, they were excited. It made sense. They came out of that going, "Woohoo! Let's go change everything," which really often doesn't happen. But it was because that management that management team was proactive on including those employees and giving them a hands on exercise. That, that showed them how it worked. And that made a huge difference, huge difference. Just just teaching everybody and sharing that information, sharing yes. that culture. Yes, exactly. And security is another another big issue for people. Obviously, with digitization and, and, and cloud-based networks, there are fears of uh, hackers, viruses, that kind of thing. How do you address those particular fears? Yeah, you know, so I'll, first, you know, I get it, right? All you hear every day is the news of some, you know, cloud-based software provider being hacked. I try to get um, our potential customers to realize this though, the thought that you're secure 
just because you don't use cloud is a myth. I mean, do you have employees? Do you have computers? Do you have internet? Do you have a front door? All these things are risk. Mm. And companies get hacked all the time. You just don't hear about it because the scale is not as big as when a cloud provider gets hacked. But companies get hacked all the time. So you're still at risk. And so I asked them, do you have a chief security officer? Do you have a team whose only responsibility is to make sure your data is secure? Have you passed several industry standard security audits? We have done all those things, right? Because we know that the data security is critical to our business and we've invested accordingly. So I just try to get people to weigh that. It's not that the, the cloud is more secure necessarily. It's just not accurate to say that it's less secure. Real briefly, we had a customer once that uh, they came into work one morning. They found out someone had broken overnight and stole all their PCs, all their PCs in the entire plant. So normally this would be disastrous, right? First, any data you had on those PCs would be now in the hands of those thieves. And second, how do you work? If all of your software is gone, how do you work? And, and think of what it would take to reinstall and set up and patch and implement all that. This is what they did. They ran to the, the electronic store down the road. They bought six uh, PCs. They came back, set them up. They were using cloud software. Um, they just connected and were up and running again within an hour. And they didn't lose a single piece of data. So that's just the flip side um, that I, I, get, I try to get people to think about that there is security actually maybe even stronger so when you're in the cloud. Very persuasive. So beyond the report that you've published, what other research areas do you think need a, a light shined on them at this moment? Uh, if you're just asking me personally, I'm just being an engineer at heart. I'd love to see a study that compared like the average ROI for all the various industry 4.0 technologies. I mean, I, I have an idea, just an educated guess, but I, I would love to see the numbers. You know, which ones across manufacturing are actually having the biggest bang for the buck? I think that would be useful. I don't know of anyone that has done that level of of research uh, and getting getting numbers back across all those various technologies and how they're being used and what's the ROI for those. I think that would be fascinating. Yeah, that would be very interesting to have a look at. Um, so let's talk about supply chain volatility. You mentioned it earlier. What can we do to tackle that problem? I stop buying things. I don't. You know, it's such a tough. It's such a tough thing to answer. I, you know, there was a recent survey from IDC, and it said that sixty percent of businesses are worried about disruption by competitors with superior supply chain capabilities. So think about that for a second. It used to be supply chain management was just taken for granted, right? It's one of the most basic functions of running a business. But now suddenly, it's a competitive advantage, and there's no silver bullets here. It's just it's just hard work with making solid. Uh, improvements across the number of related vectors in your operations. Um, it used to be price drove the supply chain, and it has for decades, but that ship has sailed, pardon the pun. The, the price now is one of many factors. Um, it's just one of many, because if you don't get, if you can't get the product, the price doesn't matter, right? And so then you have to start thinking about external matters like regionalizing your supply chain, nearshoring, bringing on redundant suppliers, all those have to be considered. And then you have internal considerations. Can I reduce the number of unique parts? Are there alternative materials that I can use in my process? Or maybe a new practice like shipping incomplete product to be assembled later at the customer. Just new ways of thinking. In fact, it's kind of a scary one. We're seeing customers that are starting to carry extra stock, which is the exact opposite of lean and just-in-time principles, right? But they're doing this to, pr to protect themselves, and they have to. So we're seeing those, those just kind of a whole array of practices, maybe even investing in technology like an MES system or a supply chain planning system uh, that can, can help you track your parts and, and uh, help you adjust for those surprises. And I want to end with one thing that I think is interesting that, that will help um, is this change from the internal combustion engine to electronic or electric vehicles. 
You know, I, uh, combustion engines and cars have 30,000 parts, 30,000. Each one requires a supply chain. But EVs, EVs have half the parts. And so I think that's an interesting shift when you think about the volatility of the supply chain going forward. Yeah, fascinating. And then the other big problem, especially here in the UK, is the labor shortage. I don't know if that's the same situation for you guys, but is there is there a solution to that? Uh, it's a huge problem here. When we get together with our customers, it's the first thing they talk about. So that's it's the only thing they talk about. It's, it's The problem's not going away. In the United States, there's a million jobs available in manufacturing. I just read a worst case scenario where that number is expected to, to go to 4 million by 2030. That's kind of that's really scary if you think about it. And um, so manufacturing is going to have to adjust. We need we need creative approaches to recruiting, um, you know, new paradigms like, you know, it used to be if someone came in and said, you know, I only want to work 20 hours a week or I just want to work Monday through Thursday. We'd be like, huh, whatever, dude, there's the door. Right. But now I think we need to embrace those those working patterns and figure out how do we plug those people in uh, targeting overlooked talent pools like immigration or or veterans or people who are incarcerated. There's a company in Lebanon, Ohio, who has a program where they they have hiring practices and training practices for prisoners who are about to be released so that when they get released, they have a full-time job with livable wages waiting for them. Um, I've seen Proactive Industry Association that targets young people. This is not your father's manufacturing, right? It's, it's, it's new, mm-hmm. it's, there's innovation. We need technicians, we need designers, we need makers. And, and really appealing to those aspects to, to the younger generation. And then finally, of course, technology has got, it's got to be a huge player in, in this labor shortage uh, discussion. Um, how do we use automation to fill those gaps? It used to be, it used to be right when I was growing up, robots are going to take all our jobs. And that was the fear. And now it's like, oh, my goodness, we need more robots just to help fill the gaps. We were not even worried about taking jobs. <laughs> and so I think that's a huge part of the, the solution is, is the technology and, and cobots and robots and automation. Oh, so an interesting future. I, lo- I love sort of hearing about all those creative solutions, stuff that perhaps we don't think of uh, off the top of mind, but um, outside the box stuff. So we'll end the show the same way we do every week by asking our guests to tell us the one invention that if it was never manufactured, your life would be unbearable. So what could you not live without? Oh, definitely my motorcycle. You know, the, the first person that ever thought to themselves, I wonder what would happen if I attached an engine to this bicycle so I can go 100 miles an hour without anything to protect me. That guy is a genius. <laughs> and uh, I love I got a big I got, I got a big touring motorcycle. It's an incredible feeling. It, it takes away my stress. And my wife loves riding with me. So we have a great time of travel together and experiencing some really cool, fun times together on the motorcycle. So Amazing stuff. Uh, all it leaves me to do is say thanks to today's guest, Jerry Foster. Thank you so much. I really appreciated my time here. Subscribe to this podcast in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Music. Thanks for listening to this edition of Remake Manufacturing. I'm your host, Stuart Black. See you next time.